I mean, a lot of people ask if I ever am going to be a performer, which the answer is no. My driving force is to be funny. And to me, there is like nothing funny about being a porn performer. What's funny to me is that I'm so beside the point of what this art form is all about. Its entire goal is to like get people off. And I'm like, yeah, but what if I turn every scene I'm in into like a weird, dark, absurd comedy? <laughs> like, and. <laughs> It just feels so fun to me when I'm able to like pull that off and like it feels like this very subversive joke I'm playing on the universe in a way of like sneaking in these like weird bits. I think the thing that communicates it very clearly is you telling the joke of you're the cuck in this scene. They've been fucking next to you for half an hour or whatever now. Mm -hmm. And you're like looking at her and you're like, honey, this is really starting to hurt my feelings. And you can hear the guy laugh and go starting to. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr. I'm a comedian who lives in Chicago. Nine years ago, I survived a month-long coma, and I woke up with questions. This week, I'm talking to Daniel Shar, a comedian, writer, and sex worker who directed my first one-man show, Dave Marcoma Show. He's working on his newest solo show, which I read and gave him notes on recently, so I thought it would be great to talk to him, because this is a long overdue conversation. He is someone I love and respect very much, and he's one of those people who I feel like my best self around, so I'm excited for you to hear it. You will also hear me demand he call his new show Best Non-Sex Performance. You got a little taste of why that might be the case in the cold open there. You can also demand that of him back me up by going to the links in the show notes, going to his website. He's not on social media. You can also check out the show notes to listen to the Weird Copsept album, which he talks about in his Relive One Memory segment. I re-listened to it again recently. It's so good. Trust him. Trust me, if it's for you, it's for you, just like this show. Speaking of which, word of mouth is the best promo for an independent artist like me. So if you know someone for whom this show is for them, tell them. Also, subscribe, leave a review for me to read. And if you really want to support the show, an extra bunch, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Marr for extended episodes and bonus content. Thank you to Pigeon Patrons, Katie Llewellyn, Fred Fidawa, Debo, Shuba Singh, Barry Fontenot, and G. And that's all I've got. Enjoy this conversation with Daniel Sharp. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like Paint your hell. My hill would be a very loud and crowded space, like a bar. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody else is like intoxicated, uh, and they all are super confident that they are being funny and that mm-hmm. they are funny when in fact they are not funny at all. And I think <laughs> that to me is like my absolute nightmare of just being surrounded by a ton of people who are existing in like a totally different reality for me um, where I'm feeling like very unheard and also just finding it impossible to like connect with anybody because we're not uh, like our sense of humor does not align at all. Well, and being funny is such a way of connecting that for that to be failing is extra torturous. It's yeah, it, it is, it is a hell I've experienced 
in this. I realm was just gonna say on several which occasions. Yeah. Rank the Chicago theaters <laughs> in terms of in terms of which which are uh, on this rubric, which are the most hellish to the least hellish, but include upstairs gallery. Okay, well. Upstairs gallery was the least hellish for me. Like that was the closest thing to heaven for me was even though it was crowded and even though it was drunk, people were being genuinely funny. Yeah, because I think for the most part, it felt like everybody there was funny most of the time. Like I really felt surrounded by people who like who I respected and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and enjoyed being around. And it also helped that I lived just down the street. So like the second people got like too drunk or it got like too overwhelming and loud, it was very easy for me to just like bounce out of there and walk home. Um, Okay. So least hellish upstairs gallery. Yeah, by far. And then honestly, like the other spaces, I didn't really have this issue with the other spaces. It was, it was more common like in college or like, in high school or in Chicago when we would like venture away from theaters to like other places, I guess any conversation I'm going to find myself in at upstairs gallery was likely to have funny people in it. But like, if we go out to uh, whatever bar next to IO afterwards, like whatever that Irish place was that I'm forgetting Mullins Mullins. Yes. There are plenty of just like Wrigleyville idiots around like that. I'm but like dude, exposed there's to plenty of IO idiots too. You never <laughs> found yourself surrounded by fucking Joran and Adel Rafai <laughs> being like, these guys are tr-. like, no, that's because, not getting cut by the way. Dude. No, I know. I know that it's like in your contract for the show that you make dude, all your guests sign that we dude, have to my, talk about these people. My, like whether I've expressed them <laughs> tactfully or not (laughs) my judgments of people have aged pretty fucking well dude dude that's one of my favorite things one of my favorite human experiences is Uh is judging somebody probably like prematurely like just forming a snap judgment about someone and later having everybody else arrive at the same conclusion that like validates the negative feeling i had right away about a person except you're quieter about it oh yeah yeah, yeah. than me where you'll like just feel internally absolutely but i'm like need credit (laughs) what do you hope happens when you die oh man um so i think i feel like a lot of people split hairs on this one and i am tempted to do the same like even though i've heard you answer it so many times like you want to know what i think happens to me or you're doing or what yeah i don't know i guess so i've had a couple thoughts as like i hope that i mean I, you already know the answer is not what you think happens to you hope what do you hope happens happens okay. when you die i i guess in a literal sense i hope that my death is somehow like funny or interesting to people okay so that it doesn't feel like it is in vain uh like i i want somebody to get something out of it that's positive like i want somebody to be able to laugh in some way or like feel like they have a good story even if it's like horrific like if it's like an interesting story it will it will feel like my literal death was not like for nothing because i think back to a time when i there have been a couple times in my life where I've like wiped out and like fallen in like 
mm-hmm. very absurd and embarrassing ways. And then and I you like, look back and you're like, man, I wish I had fucking died. No, <laughs> but I look around in those. There are two instances, one in college and one in Chicago that I can think of where I like ate shit. <laughs> <laughs> The balloons are popping up on your screen. Just to be clear for anyone, if we have like a random weird moment where it seems like I'm laughing or like something strange has happened, it's because Char has on his computer this thing where certain hand gestures will trigger and he just rose he, he, he held up two for the number of things but it looked like a peace sign and some balloons popped up on the screen it's so uh, weird okay this is new to me it's not intentional so that there are just going to be some happy accidents when i talk with my hands apparently this is the only time i wish that it was a video you had a video component podcast. yeah yeah. Um, um, okay. So two there two moments you two fell. moments in my life where I've like fallen pretty hard and in ways that felt pretty embarrassing, and then I've like you know collected myself and looked around, and there was nobody to witness it, mm-hmm. and it that is the part that like pisses me off the most. <laughs> Or like upsets me the most. It's like at least if somebody had watched that, they could have, they might have laughed or like told. Even though most to, people would be like glad they weren't observed in their moment of vulnerability, right? But I guess to me, it's like this feels pointless. Like this feels like it was for nothing. <laughs> like at least if there had been a witness and they could have gotten a laugh or a funny story out of it or something, like mm-hmm, then it mm-hmm. would have benefited somebody somehow. But so like. Either way, I'm taking an L. Like, it sucks for me either way, but at least there's, like, some benefit to somebody. And I really resented those moments of, like, well, what the fuck was the point of that? Like, nobody got anything out of that. That's just, like, mm-hmm. a bad thing that happened, and nobody gained from it whatsoever. So, like, I want yeah. my death to have some plus for somebody in some way. Uh, have you would- heard of a death like that? Have you ever been like, oh, that person did it? Um... I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, in Mike Birbiglia's new special, he's got the this whole chunk of like, a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's able to like mine a, a section of a show for laughs out of like a death that that okay. occurred or whatever. And so it's like, cool, like, you know, that's dark, but it, it also, it is cr- creating laughter and joy for a lot of people in the long run. And so, so I guess that comes to mind, but like. Yeah, just it doesn't have to be on that scale. I don't need to be like a national joke uh, or anything yeah. like that. But I yeah. would love for for the people closest to me to be like, fucking, of course, that's how he went or whatever. You know, like, OK, OK, to get something out of it. Um, and then as far as like my experience post death, I guess I hope that whatever happens to my consciousness or uh whatever like i i hope that it is a more peaceful and like enjoyable space that whatever whatever i'm doing whatever space i occupy next i hope that there's less fear and anxiety like those are the two things i would love to like not have to worry about anymore i'd love to be a fucking confident ghost if if that's a possibility (laughs) like that'd be pretty dope if i was just like oh i'm not fucking worried about this and I'm a ghost. I can do whatever I want. I don't know. Where would you haunt? That that's one of my favorite mm. like uh icebreaker questions is like if Damn. you were a ghost, a place you would haunt. And I have a pretty solid I'm convinced is like one of the right answers to it, but I want to hear your answer first. <laughs> like one of the subjectively right answers for everybody or for for me? Objectively right. Oh, answers. oh yeah, 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 objectively right answers. Um yeah, yeah. hmm. That's interesting. 
Thank you. Uh, I guess I would, I would almost want to haunt a haunted house. Like, a okay. Like, a I kind of resent the whole industry and like concept of haunted houses, I think, cause I had some childhood trauma with one. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, and so I think that, uh, they feel very like, I just find them stupid. I hate being scared. I like really resent the feeling because of being, you spend your whole life. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and I, I don't understand people who like enjoy that feeling. And I, I, and I further don't understand like all these businesses that profit off of like creating that feeling for people. I'm like, what is this? Like, this is what about horror weird. movies? You don't, I don't understand. Fuck, I don't fuck with horror movies. I really don't like it. Even though the, it's, even though they're so similar to comedy. Yeah. And I get that. And like, I will say like, I loved get out, like get out is one of my favorite, but like, it's not really a horror. I don't know. Um, but like, but yeah, I get you. That's the closest thing to like a horror movie that I've been able to enjoy. Uh, but for the most part, I don't fuck with those. And so I guess to me, it's like I it feels so, you know, it's all bullshit. Like it's all smoke and mirrors and like manipulation and whatever. And so to mm-hmm. go and be an actual ghost haunting a like haunted house would I, I think feel good to me in a way of like these people are actually getting like the real deal experience of what they paid for. So that would. So do you need to do you need the people in the haunted house to know that you are a real ghost or just you knowing that you're providing the authentic experience to them is enough. I think, yeah, I, I'd love to be scared either way. And my thought is, well, your scares might get lost in the cacophony of scares. Sure. I guess I'd want them to be like, no, dude, there was something like really different about that. Like, I don't think it was okay. Like, I don't know how that could have been an actor. Like it, it, I think it was real, you know, like I think, I think I would want them to, to sense that like there was something legit, like otherworldly about this happening. Even, even in death, you want people to disrespect your acting abilities. (laughs) (laughs) That guy couldn't have been an actor. There's no way that guy was an actor. (laughs) Yeah. That's my goal is to have people, question my talent yeah but dude what do you do the other 11 months of the year chill baby i'm dead i want to be on vacation i I, you know that's i i'll retire when i die you know and so that's that's my time to i'm still obviously going to work a little bit because i love feeling productive and (laughs) accomplished but who knows what spec scripts are required in heaven what specter scripts yeah okay uh Theater. Theater is one of the objectively correct answers. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You get entertainment. Yeah. There's drama within the cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a creep, you got people undressing. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much going on. Uh, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have. I wish the third example hadn't been people undressing because <laughs> that just kind of hangs there now. Okay. So you do hope that there is a continuation of consciousness it sounds like yeah i guess so it's not even so much that i hope that there is i guess this is where it blurs with like the fact that i now kind of believe that there is and you do yeah i i would not have said that before but then my mom died in 2014 and right there have been uh a couple experiences that like my family has had where it's like, yeah, I don't know how you explain that. Like that other than like that, there is some sort of continuing 
presence or like access that she has to us. I would have pegged you for an atheist guy for sure. So this is very interesting. Yeah, to me. you were correct. And so it really messed with me to be like, what the hell? Like, I don't know how else to explain this. And so, so like what happened? So the, the one that I can speak to the most is like, I had a dream. She died in March of 2014, I think. And then I want to say like October, I had a, super vivid dream that um felt like crazy realistic uh where like in the dream and sort of in real life like i physically felt like the weight of somebody getting onto my bed like sitting on my bed mm -hmm. um and like waking me up. So I woke up in the dream and like saw that my mom was like sitting there and I like freaked out because I, you know, it was like very scary to me and I hate yeah. being scared. And so I <laughs> like lashed out at her for like, for scaring me. Uh, -huh. uh and then she, she, I'm trying to remember. I think I have, I honestly think I have like a play by play of the dream written down, uh, really? in my notes still. Um, that way I'm not just grasping at straws for, okay. I mean, this is, you can cut this down if you want to, it's sort of lengthy, but I'll just read this verbatim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is from October 14th, 2014 at 9, 13 AM. I like jotted this down in my notes. Uh, in my dream, I was in bed fast asleep when I heard a knock and then felt the weight of someone crawling into my bed on the left side. It felt very real and vivid to me in real life. And in both worlds, I experienced the sensation of trying to yell and talk, but barely being able to get any words out. I kept trying to ask who was there and yell for help because I thought it might be a murderer, but eventually something changed and I was able to clearly see mom sitting calmly in a chair, which isn't here in real life. I yelled at her something along the lines of what's wrong with you because I was so startled almost immediately. I apologized and explained that I wasn't mad at her just at being frightened. I then said I needed to go get water. There was barely a sip left in the Dasani bottle she was holding, but she silently held it out to offer to me. And as I climbed off the bed to go to the kitchen, I jokingly acted disgusted and said, no, I'm not about to drink after some dead lady. We both laughed. I then walked through my house, which was unrecognizable as my house, and made sure to turn off several lights in rooms that weren't being lived in or used by anyone. I invited mom to sit on some couches with me and talk, and as we sat, I woke up. At this point, I spoke out loud to her spirit for the first time since she passed. I still have no idea if, act if I actually believe that she can hear me or if this was purely my subconscious running wild or what. I do know that tears can apparently form even when your eyes are crusted shut. And I do know that I feel weird, but maybe that's just because I barely slept all night and have been obsessing over my own bullshit a lot recently. This doesn't have to go anywhere. I just needed to put it down. What a way to start a day. <laughs> okay, so two questions. Yeah. When you say you experienced it in the sensation in real life as well as the dream, mm -hmm. how do you know you experienced it in real life? How do you know it wasn't just the dream? I I just have never had a dream feel this real. Like it's 
you know, like I think everybody's had like those dreams over like you feel like you're falling or, you know, like your body mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. feels like you feel the physical yeah, sensation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I guess what was like weird about this one was that it wasn't necessarily a feeling of like it wasn't a feeling of something happening to my body. It was like the feeling of someone sitting on the bed. Like it was like a feeling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of my body being affected of like what's next to me rather than like directly right. to my body. And it was such a one-to-one of like in the dream, I'm asleep in this bed and in the, and in real life, I'm asleep in this bed. And the feeling is, you know, it right. like logically could have happened in both like the, you know, logistically, I guess not logically, but like the space is conducive to this and this would be how it felt in real life if it were happening. But everybody I talked to, like when I, you know, told my sister or like my, my aunt or my dad or like my friends, people were all like, Oh yeah, you got visited. Like that sounds like mm. that's a visit. And, uh, and, and I was skeptical. Up, were you in bed or had you moved and you were sitting somewhere in the middle of talking to her in the dream i was we no. when like, you woke up in real life like oh yeah, yeah. You're, at the end of the dream you're like and then i woke up right you were in bed still or what uh in real life i was i was like bolted yeah like woke up crying already in bed okay, okay like okay. there were like tears coming out of my eyes as i like woke up like scared as shit and i think i guess it's like partly it's important to note that like my mom had a brain tumor and she was nonverbal for like the last, like, you know, couple weeks, essentially Mm -hmm, like it mm -hmm. affected her ability to speak. And so she did not speak at all in this dream. And Mm. like, I woke up as we were like about to talk, like, like her, I think she was like getting ready to kind of talk. And then that was, that was it. Like I was, you know, it ended there. Um, but yeah, it felt, it just felt super real. And I think, you know, I felt, I still felt skeptical, but then like my dad basically like had kind of a visit from her at some point, like a similar sort of dream. And my sister had an experience where, uh, she used to go see this like energy healer and had been seeing this energy healer for years who is not, you know, does not claim to be a medium or a mm-hmm. psychic or anything along these lines. Um, but was doing like an energy healing session with my sister at one point and was like in the middle of the session basically was like, um, sorry, I'm like getting a message from your mom. And my sister was like, okay. Uh, and like the message that she delivered had this like very specific phrasing that, my mom had used in real life Mm. with my sister prior to her passing uh that my sister had not communicated to this energy healer or like anybody Mm. else and so to have that like it's like yeah i don't know how you explain that like that seems right very that just seems too like good to be true almost like i don't know and especially it's like this is not a person who's whose whole racket is like, all right, I'm going to tell you what the dead are saying to you. Like it kind of came out of nowhere. And it was this very specific thing that my sister was like, I, she, I had, my sister had asked her with these words and, and then my mom, like, or I think not even at, had, I don't know if she asked, but she was like, I wish blah, blah, blah. Like when my mom was dying and then the message was like, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And so it was like Mm. this very, 
eerie sort of like that feels like it must be what that what's happening like right um so i'm still very like skeptical and like confused because i'm like what the fuck is going on but it i'm much more open to the to like yeah i believe that probably there is stuff happening that we don't understand like that there is an existence like some some sort of like realm of existence that we don't know about or have access to that where where there is still some sort of connection possible i like that it's not definitive like when i heard you say this i was like oh shit there's a chance that char like (laughs) convinces me forever you know and like and as much as i want to be like it's the it's the story with your sister that is the most like impressive to me on the on the external level same um and okay and but yours could like yours could be explained away yeah but but it could just be a dream but i like that it is it was powerful enough that you're like no still there's something too too heavy about it for me to just shove off i you know i've had plenty of dreams about her since she died Mm -hmm. but that is the only one that was like that or that like Mm. felt that way and i i can't recall ever having any other dream like that in my life like it was just like a very otherworldly feeling kind of uh experience for me does that experience and this belief that there is something make you less were you particularly afraid of death and does it make you less afraid of death um so I don't think I thought about death really at all. Like I didn't feel like a possibility to me until my mom mm-hmm. died. And then, <laughs> and then it was like, Oh, wait a second. I'm okay. Going to die. There's something to this. <laughs> wait, this stuff actually happens to people. This is nuts. Yeah. Um, so I think I did become much more afraid of dying after her death, mm-hmm. uh, because it just made it far more real. And, I guess the the possibility of like a continued existence in some form or fashion, like it doesn't necessarily make it any less scary for me. I don't I don't mm. think it helps that much because I think it's it's that unknown quantity. Like it's that right that factor once again brings me anxiety of like I don't know what the hell that's like. Uh maybe it sucks like maybe it like it's a possibility not in like a fire and brimstone hell way but like maybe it's like in a boring way right well yeah almost i mean yeah i want to i just want to fucking i want stuff to be funny like i don't if it's not funny it's not fun (laughs) to me and therefore like if that whatever that existence is if if you can't be like having a good time with it and like joking around somehow then like what's the point? I don't want to just be stuck in this weird place where I can sort of send cryptic, weird <laughs> messages to people or like mm-hmm. visit people in their sleep. Like that doesn't seem fun to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I'm not able to like joke around with the other spirits bopping around, then like, I don't want to do it. And so I, I have that same, it's possible that it'll be, that it will be my version of hell where like there's, you, know, you want to form a ghost improv team. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Relive one memory. We're, we're at the moment where I tell you 
something you already know, which is that in the Feed Wolf ice cream show set in the afterlife, I propose that everyone gets to fully relive one memory, like a room you can pop into and out of whenever you want, but you have to choose one. What's yours? So I really struggle with this one. Every time I hear the show, I'm tempted to like, I, you know, my mind wanders to like, how would I answer this? Um, and there are a few contenders, but I think I'm going to go with the one that you may have been a part of, like you may have been present for. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and so it would be the, the like release party or like listening party for the weird concept album. And the oh that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you there yeah. for that? Yeah. I think I was. Yeah, yeah. And so to try to like contextualize this quickly for listeners, right. uh, Mike Malarkey is this very talented musician and director and writer, or whatever the multi hyphenate. Uh, he and I made this project. We worked on it for a couple years called the Weird Copsept Album, and it was a rap musical about two Chicago police officers who were leaving the police force to become musicians like their hero, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> and every song is, uh, you know, a sample of a Weird Al song. And for the years that we were working on this project, anyone we like explained it to was either super skeptical that we were even like serious about this because it sounded so <laughs> ridiculous yeah. or they assumed that it would suck, which I totally get. Like that sounds like it has no business being any good. Yeah. Um, and we managed to get it done just in time to premiere it at Upstairs Gallery, which was this great DIY space, like my favorite place in Chicago to do comedy stuff where like tons of funny people were experimenting all the time. Um, and like in their final week, basically like one of the last shows. Wow, this, I didn't realize that. Yeah, was was this uh, this release party. And so we had a pretty packed house for it. And people seemed genuinely like shocked at how good it was. Like, I think mm -hmm. it just exceeded everybody's expectations. So getting to finally have this like hard work pay off in a way where like, I trusted that this thing was funny and good. Yeah. Even yeah. though a lot of people were like, what are you talking about? And then seeing them be converted into like, Oh wait, this is actually like funny and good. Um, and I haven't gotten a ton of standing ovations in my life as a performer, <laughs> but the sure. one that we got that night is the only one I can ever remember feeling like, no, this is like earned and also genuine. Like it's not, it's not one of those standing ovations where like somebody started it and everybody else felt like, oh, okay, like right. I'll, I'll you're play not, along. You're like, not priming for it. You're not begging for it. No. Through, it, yeah. It felt like everyone was genuinely like, no, yeah, we got to give it up for y'all. Like this is this That's is awesome. Tight. And so I was on top of the world from that and then managed to like, after that ended up hanging out with these two women, which at the time in my life was like, I was, I had no confidence and was very inexperienced with like dating and romance and whatever. And so I was especially nervous around women and strangers in general. I didn't really, I knew one of these people kind of, and then her friend, I did not know at all. And the three of us hung out for hours and hours and hours. And I've like never felt funnier. Like I was on fire Amazing. and like Amazing. could not miss. Like I was just so <laughs> in a zone of like, yeah, my confidence was higher than it had ever been. And I was just really like firing on all cylinders. And, um, you know, the one that I did know stuck around. The other one went home and I ended up like hooking up with the one that I did know at like 6 a.m., which was Amazing. like seemed so out of the question to me at the mm -hmm. time. And so mm -hmm. it just was this like sustained bliss from like, you know, whatever time the 
the show started at like 8 p.m. or whatever until 8 a.m. Like I just had like damn the, dude two the, hours of fucking <laughs> sucking damn dude what? it did not get to that level but it uh yeah I've never done like ecstasy or molly or any you know but i right it's right, like right. what i imagine it is like because i just was like on this euphoric high for such yeah. a sustained long period of time and so i think that would be i would love to be able to like relive that that experience because it was incredible well even just the playing of the well okay were you in malarkey the two cops or i thought chris yes. red was okay so he we was also just a chris, guest yeah chris red was our songs. police chief uh, oh okay. okay yeah so he was on a couple songs uh tyler couple parker okay. yeah tyler parker sang a, a couple nice, of like nice. hooks for us sarah hoffman sang a hook or two and marty scousebo had helped like put together some of the lyric videos and stuff with Mike. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of like the whole process of creating. It was also very fun. Like that whole journey from start to yeah. finish was like, yeah. unlike any other project I've had, like it, it unfolded so organically and we like sort of stumbled into it just by following this, like right. this, would this be funny if we did this? Like it, it, none of it was really premeditated. It's sort of like, yeah, it was a very strange process that was super enjoyable. And did you, I'm I'm trying to remember now. Did you perform it live or was it playing the album and there were like visual were, was there a visual to go along with everything? Uh yes. So what we did was we Malarkey and I played two characters live of like these I don't remember exactly what the framework was of like music experts or some you know like mm, some sort mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm, music mm-hmm. historians presenting this like unearthed work uh yeah 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 yeah. from a vault and so we had these like little interstitial bits but then we played these lyric videos for everybody Mm -hmm, that had mm -hmm. all the words on screen um and like fun animations with like weird owl graphics and stuff mixed in also and i can't stress enough that like i get that this sounds like it would be so bad but malarkey is a genius and like managed to make beats that actually sound really good and i also also am not a person who Everything. has any confidence, but I can rap. Like I'm not a bad rapper yeah, at all. Yeah, so like totally. the joke is not like these guys are rapping. It's like right, the right, jokes right, right. are well-written and well-wrapped. And, and so that's where like the fun lies. I really think I have, I, I think I, yeah, I'll give myself the credit that I think this is an advantage. Like once you have enough experience in performing, in creating things, when someone tells you about, a show or a movie that was bad. I hear the idea and I'm like, I could easily see how that could be good. Mm. Like, even if it's like, even if it's good in a, like, that's so terrible, it would be really fun to see sort of way. Like I, I can know, I can very rarely tell anymore from an idea, Mm -hmm. whether it would be good or bad, you know? Yeah. Well, not as, not everybody's as as insightful as you or like has the imagination that you have we haven't to all see the potential. That way, no, you know? so there were definitely <laughs> I could name names of people who are Ooh, like <laughs> who are okay. like very skeptical and like yeah. doubtful, and afterwards were like, "Holy shit, you did it!" Like I really didn't think that that was. I didn't even think y'all were seriously doing this. I thought it was this like this was like your biggie moment of like. <laughs> all the teachers who thought I'd never amount to nothing <laughs> yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, all the improv teachers who thought I would never amount. I'm really struggling not to say a name right here, dog. Um, <laughs> uh, 
the one thing I'm just for my own memory. W- did you change the layout of the space where you projected it on yes. the wall next to the door? Yes. Okay. That's that's where how my memory is, yep. and I'm glad to know that that is that's correct. Yeah, confirmed. Yeah. Uh, was it a one time hookup with this with this friend? Uh, basically, uh, there were. I think she was visiting from a different place, and so mm, during that trip, okay. I think we may have reconnected a couple times. Reconnected. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. What's your coma? A moment of transformation where before you're one version of yourself and after you're another. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about this as well, and there've been a handful of them. Um, so it's difficult to choose, but I I almost want to say it's like a two-parter because my mom dying in 2014 definitely like changed my worldview and like my outlook. Um, yeah cause this like huge shift in perspective. And then in 2021, I had my first like serious breakup. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that like leveled me in a way that the death of my own mother had not, but it, I think, you know, in hindsight now I'm able to see it's because I had not processed the death of my mom that Mm. much. So it was like, I experienced both like I grieved both losses kind of all at once. So in a way it, uh, it felt like a two step process of like, ultimately it's like the death of my mom, I guess is the answer. But like, there was so much a delay on it where like I got part of the change in 2014 and then, uh, uh the rest of it kind of came in, in 2021 after this breakup. That's interesting. Cause I never knew, like we talked during that and I actually never knew that, the mom stuff was a part of the breakup. Tell me about the process of mom stuff coming up as you're grieving this breakup. So, uh, I think just the, like the reality of, uh, change and like loss, like just the fact that like shit is going to happen that you do not foresee and that you don't necessarily want. Uh, and like, we don't have control, like we don't have control over our lives. And so just this, uh, it felt like the emotional floodgates. Like I, I was so emotionally closed off for basically my entire life. Like I just was like a comedy robot. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then getting into that first relationship kind of opened me up in a lot of ways where I was like, Oh, I now I'm like starting to have feelings for the first time ever. And then like, you know, that person got me into therapy. Um, and then, you know, there were certainly some, some traumatic moments in that relationship that, that affected me deeply. And, uh, and so like losing that relationship was like devastating. Like it just felt it, it, opened these floodgates and like forced me to have more feelings than I'd ever had. And as I was like grieving that loss, all this other stuff started coming up that was like, Oh, this is, I'm, I'm now feeling the effects that I've sort of suppressed for so long of like losing my mom. Like it it finally was able to come out. Like I was able to access it in a way that I had never been able to access before. 
But it sounds like it was less about missing specific aspects of your mom right. and more about more about you and more about you, teaching you about the world and about um yeah the the almost the the things that your mom's death represent in your life yeah just coping with the lack of control and like the uh reality of like pain i guess like the uh like sort of the inevitability of like suffering and Mm -hmm. like the heaviness of like yeah bad shit is going to happen and like you can there's kind of nothing you can do to stop that like that's part of life yeah yeah but this is interesting because of the comedy robot stuff you're talking about because I can't imagine these are the only two moments in your life that have taught you that change happens and that stuff you expect is not going to happen or not expect is going to happen. There must have been moments of like disappointment with comedy things, right? And like maybe – is, is it, are we okay to talk about the the show that you're sure. working on? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I, so the show, well, d- describe the show that, that you're working on. So I'm currently working on a live solo show that sort of encompasses the ongoing decade I have of working in and around the sex industry um, and sort of my journey with confidence and connection and, uh, sincerity like learning to to like be sincere while also leaning so heavily on my sense of humor uh throughout all of those things like all the different jobs i've had in the sex industry and and the 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 splashy headline is that you are currently a porn star in the non in the non-sex performance category, meaning mostly it seems that the type there is guy who gets cucked on camera and sits on the couch while the performers fuck two feet away, um, which is the most like I think immediate like in the same way that like for me, the coma show, the splashy thing was like, you, you know, other people have had medical traumas, but to say these Facebook eulogies. Mm-hmm are are the most are the thing that grabs people's attention yeah. the most i think that's those are that's your facebook eulogies yeah um yeah but and also i want to have it on the record here that there is a part of your goal is now to get is to win an what is is it adult video network is it what is yeah, the, the avn awards yeah i think i believe that is the acronym yeah Okay, so you want to win an AVN award in the category of best non-sex performance, which yeah. is an award. Yeah. And I am adamant that that needs to be the title <laughs> of your show. It's such a good title. It's so much better than I may have helped you come. <laughs> maybe maybe I jacked you, whatever you're <laughs> I, trying to do instead. 
so let's just say that so that maybe there can be some other external pressure on you to name the show that. Yeah, guys, write in with what you think I should call the show, because I've brainstormed probably like hundreds of titles at this point. There's no brainstorm. Why is it? Why is that? In, in, what's your hesitance to call it that? Uh, you are the only one who likes it. That's that no, I've talked to. Dude, I've, I've texted. You need to talk to more people because I've texted <laughs> other people who are like, talk to Daniel Strauss. I texted him. I was like, I was, he was like, yeah, that's a way better title. Mm. I don't care about blowing blowing up his spot. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, dude, it's not just me. Okay. Um. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because when I was like reading through your Canva slideshow of the show and giving you notes, one of the things that like I know is true to you, but was hard for me to resonate with was the idea that um, like certain embarrassments on porn sets are like more upsetting to you specifically like your jokes not translating on porn sets because that's kind of the thing you're bringing is like actually being funny as the cuck in these scenes and uh and people like telling you that like you know other best non-sex performance winners being like you're the only guy that's going to give me a run for my money and you having these moments where your sense of humor gets thwarted or you're not able to like carry like to, to pull something off and you being so frustrated with that and that being a bigger deal to you than certain like kind of big moments in your life. Um, and, and my, my, my reaction to that is just like, I know that's true for you, but it's really weird that that's true for you. And so like <laughs> how, and so like how, do you how do you how do you get that across to an audience yeah. that like that like this is part of my dysfunction is that yeah. i i care about these things more but but you talking about your coma not being like any comedy disappointment it being these two very real things is it all of this to say to ask is it the case that these two big real life things punctured through the things you thought were disappointments and taught you that like, Oh, there's another level of reality and intensity to life beyond. Yeah. Not getting, not having a meeting go well, not making a team, not getting a script picked up or something. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm, you know, I'm pretty desensitized to like, comedic rejection and failure like mm -hmm. had plenty of that I, and it sure. sucks like it stings but it 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 might knock the wind out of me a little bit but like ultimately i can kind of i've always been able to sort of like outrun it or or like get back up fairly quickly and like bounce back from it mm -hmm. whereas like yeah these two experiences knocked me on my ass so hard where it was like all right like i I give up. Like, I can't, this is huge. Like, this is such an overwhelmingly uncomfortable experience that there is no like denying it or, 
or like ignoring it. I, I mean, I did a pretty good job of sort of like suppressing all the grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like basically, I think my initial sort of like I had about a week of, you know, being home as my mom entered hospice. That was like that was hard. I cried a lot. That yeah. was a very tough thing. But like I got back on a plane to Chicago and I hit the comedy per, like productivity drug harder than ever before like that's when i made weird concept album like that's when right. i did a, like two other web series projects a tv pilot a movie like i did all this i was so much more productive because i just was like in this mindset of like nothing matters i'm gonna spend all my time and energy doing what i want to do which is like making stuff with my friends and like having fun and i was able to do that for a long time and i just distracted myself really really well for for like years and years and years by just being like i'm not going to think about that uncomfortable fact that i'm sad that my mom died uh i'm gonna like focus on all this stuff and honestly this was one of the other (laughs) like this is a ridiculous thing that that i put on my list of like possible comas is Mm -hmm. that uh earlier this year i found myself at a beyonce concert uh which i was not expecting to go to i went Mm -hmm. with my my partner uh, who is a huge Beyonce fan. And the plan was just to like go to Vegas, have a little trip. She was going to go to the show and I was going to hang back and like work on my solo show and, and just like use the, use it as a little like writing retreat. Mm-hmm. But then a friend like happened to look at tickets and was like, dude, these tickets are like cheap. Like she was also in Vegas and going to the show and just was like looking out of curiosity. And so I jokingly like two hours before the show was like, should I go? Uh, and my partner was like, yeah, I think you should. And so <laughs> I bought a ticket like two hours before the show, I went to the show. I almost cried like immediately at the beginning of the show. And then throughout the show, I kept choking up and, and like almost crying. And there was one moment in particular where Beyonce is like on top of a tank and her 11 year old daughter has, you know, Uh it's just been like dancing for a few songs or whatever. And so on this, you know, on the screen, you can see this shot of like the daughter in the foreground, Beyonce in the background, like looking down at her, and just like beaming with pride at mm. at like you know watching her child dance in front of this arena full of people um and i got so emotional and like in my you know just like the thought that popped up was like i miss my mom uh yeah. and it it like came out of nowhere i was so floored that i'd had this thought you know almost a decade later at a Beyonce concert. Like I am not, I was not like some big Beyonce fan. I was like, yeah, she's, she's fine. Um, but I now, you know, that set off like a series of events where like, you know, I told my partner after the show that that happened. She was like, Whoa, (laughs) like that's heavy. And then, you know, talking to my therapist about it and, um, it, it felt, you know, it like really highlighted like, okay, there's actually a bunch of grief in here that has not been processed yet. That's like mm. been buried pretty deep. Um, and you know, I'm just now sort of like noticing it and whatever. And and then I was actively trying to, to like get it out, uh, because it, like once I was like aware of it, it felt like this weight that, that I was carrying around that I like wanted desperately to like get rid of. So I started listening. I started like watching clips from the show to try to find that moment again. Like that almost got me. That almost got me. Like what if I can. So now my YouTube algorithm is like all Beyonce. I'm (laughs) I'm like fully 
I've seen the movie now three times with my partner. Like we've gone wow. and seen it, and I highly. Are you more it. into? Are you? Do you consider yourself a bigger Beyonce fan? Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm like I wow. wasn't a fan before. I am a fan now. Like for sure, I'm a fan. I think wow. that she is like an incredible artist. I, I've always been like. I've always respected that she's yeah, yeah, yeah. talented, but I, I like, I get it now. I'm like, Oh, I understand why she is essentially a cult leader and has this, like, you know, my friends who are into her and my partner who's into her, like they view her as like a God basically. Like she is. Well, like, right. Deity. Cause you're like, yeah, I, I was going to say when you're like, I would have never thought I'd get this emotional at a Beyonce concert. I'm like, dude, I think 98% of the world would have no, surprise at all that you right. got very emotional at it. No, I just didn't know what concert. I was getting myself into. Yeah, I guess yeah, it, was, yeah. it was somebody that I was like pretty indifferent towards, I would say like not in a bad way, but just like did not have strong feelings about. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I now am like, I fully understand it. And also like she unlocked all this like emotion for me. And like, I, you know, through the YouTube algorithm playing different, you know, exposing me to more and more of her catalog, there were like other songs that would pop up where it's like, that made me cry. And so like, mm. I eventually did get to a point uh, where, you know, I like the grief came out and like, I have had a lot of, a lot more like crying and uh, release over the last few months about my mom specifically uh, than I'd had in years. And is it attached to specific thoughts? Are there specific lessons you are processing or is it just like a, a physical almost non-verbal release from your body it feels more like the latter i guess mm-hmm. um i think it's just starting to like sink in more and more that like you know my sister has a uh, a child now who is almost two um i now have this like burgeoning non-sex porn acting career like it feels like i have something going on that's like exciting and fun Mm -hmm. uh which you know i there's i've been in la for like seven years now and there's been a lot of floundering and like there's been some cool things and whatever but like this is the first one that feels honestly like to the level of excitement that i had about like the weird concept album where it's like this is ridiculous like i can't believe i'm doing this this is so funny to me and like fun yeah. Um, and I think that like, but I think that, that's important to get across to people too, that like, this is not just a, a diversion for you of like, but I'm still trying to get staffed on a show or whatever. Right. And like, uh, to, to whatever extent those things may still be true. I don't know, but, uh, I assume they are, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit, but that like, you genuinely are like, I want to be, ex- it's very ridiculous and I want to be excellent at this. Mm-hmm. And it is a project that I own and take pride in, yeah. not just a funny experience I'm collecting in the way that comedians collect funny experiences yes. or people who make solo shows collect absurd experiences. Yeah, it is both to me. Like I want yeah. it to I want the material to share with other people and be able to like make other people laugh with it. But it also to me is like, yeah, this is, this is like the positive side of that, like mentality I had in the wake of my mom's death where it was like, this is all ridiculous. Like no matter Mm -hmm. what you do with your life, like fuck the, like, this is what you should do because like no matter how you go about living your life, the end result is the same. And so my perspective shift was like, fuck 
everything about like what's expected of me or like what society says is important. Like I get to decide what's important to me. Uh, And I I, like, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, basically like I'm giving myself the green light to do whatever the fuck I want, because ultimately it doesn't really matter and I'm going to die in the end. And so what I want is to like laugh as much as possible and make other people laugh as much as possible. And, and like this porn thing that I'm doing is the first time in a long time where I'm like pretty reliably, like gonna have some laughs on set, but like to myself at the expense of whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm also creating laughs for the people there with like the funny stuff that I'm bringing to the table mm-hmm. and then talking to friends about it inevitably full of laughs. Like it's always fun to, to be able to like to share it with people. So it feels it like is firing on all cylinders. Like it's really hitting all these like check marks of like, this is so fun. Like this is such a, a gold mine of, of like bringing entertainment to my life and others. So to go back like that, having that and like my sister having her kid like it, i guess it's it maybe is the first time in a while where i'm like damn it is very sad to me that i have this like fun thing going on that i like can't uh like physically sort of see the the like pride in my mom about and like make her laugh with it one of the ways that you kept from processing your mom's death was you directed my first one-man show, Dave Marcoma Show, which helped me process a traumatic experience that happened to me. So very ironic that you are enabling that process and that doing that keeps you from, helps, helps keep at bay your processing of your own shit. But one of the bits, honestly, the bit I'm proudest of in that show and the bit through which I am trying to filter more and more of what I do is the better questions bit, which is, you know, people have been asking me things about being in a coma. So I was like, at this point, you know, anyone can ask me anything they want about this experience and I'll answer it honestly then I will also provide you a better question that I have written. You can read that question and I'll answer that too. I'm wondering if we can do better questions for acting in pornos oh, for wow. you. Okay. Do you think that's, do you think that's possible? Sure. I mean, you're saying like, so, like, like what, like right what now. are the most common things that people ask you that may be, not what you actually consider the most interesting parts of the experience. I guess it's not surprising, but it kind of is that I've been asked multiple times. One of the first questions people ask is what it smells like. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I would not have thought to ask. So, and what's the answer to that? Usually like nothing like you, the mm. hygiene is like, you know, taken super seriously on these sets. And so there is a lot of measures taken to kind of ensure that there basically are no sense in kind of an unnatural way. Um, right, right, right. So what yeah, kinds of measures? Uh, douching primarily. That is the show. Most of it. I did 
cut off my questions about his porn career, and you can hear all of them if you go to patreon.com slash davemar and listen to the full convo, which also includes a bunch of other chat that didn't make it into the main feed. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend who'd love This Is Your Afterlife about the show. Listen to that weird Copsept album at the link in the show notes. Go to Char's website to tell him I'm right, that he needs to call his show Best Non-Sex Performance. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Have faith. You are human. Only human. And human beings, they do miracles.